0: Welcome to our first episode of the University of Oregon College of Education Look No Feather podcast. I am Emma Bjorngard-Bissane, one of the academic advisors in the College of Education.
1: And I'm Ixchel Bertugo and I'm another one of the academic advisors at the College of Education.
0: In this first episode, we have two great interviews that we want to share with all of you, and they're both focusing on engagement and involvement on campus and why it's so important. So the first person we talked to is Jesse Stewart. She is the senior associate director for student activities and programs here on campus.
1: And then for the second interview, we have Katlyn Roberts, the Director of Fraternity and Sorority Life, as well as Zach Coza lewis the Assistant Director for Fraternity and Sorority Life.
0: So as we mentioned, uh, our interviewees will be talking about engagement and involvement here on campus and different opportunities that are available to all of you. But we thought it would be appropriate if we shared a little bit about how we were involved as undergrads. And maybe you can start. You were an undergrad here at the University of Oregon.
1: I was, yeah. So I was involved in quite a few things during my undergrad time here. Um, so I did impact at the very beginning. So I came with my dad for my introduction session and he was walking with me with to, like to different boots and things like that and he handed me one of the impact flyers and he just you know gave it to me and I was like oh, okay like I guess I'll look into it I wasn't too excited about it to begin with but then once I attended their first meeting I actually ended up you know, continuing with it. And I ended up being a mentor and then a coordinator for the program um, later on my senior year. So all of it ended up connecting um, from there. And then I also did MECHA, which is like the Latinx um, student group on campus. And then um, a little kind of offset of that was the GANAS tutoring program, where we tutored middle school students at Kelly Middle School. Um, so that also was helping me with my, um, my degree in education. So getting a little bit of that practice with them. And yeah, so overall, it was a good impact, no (laughs) pun intended. (laughs) Um, On my time at the U of I was able to grow and a lot of it was building those connections and a community um, that I'm still connected with now being an advisor on campus. So it was great. How about how about you? I know you had a you're a different experience as a as a transfer student, too. Yeah.
0: Yeah. No. So I started at Santa Barbara City College and then I transferred from there to Cal State Long Beach um, and I was a philosophy major. So I just remember during our week of welcome, you know, like, you know, like you walking around, checking out all the tables because all the clubs, you know, had their booths set up. And I saw the philosophy club there. So I was like, oh, I have to go up and (laughs) (laughs) introduce myself and I'm definitely an introvert so that was a little scary but it did you know push me to kind of step outside of my comfort zone and i'm really glad that i did because it just instantly connected me with people who had similar interests as i um you know and just introduced me to first years sophomores juniors and seniors like all the students in my major so yeah it was great and you know we're still friends and follow (laughs) along in their their professional journeys now which is which is great so definitely made friends you know that hopefully will be lifelong friends um (laughs) but yeah um so let's jump into these interviews so that you all can learn about involvement and engagement here at the university of oregon
2: Could you please state your name and what you do at the U of O? Yep. My name is Jessie Stewart and I work in the EMU with all the student union programs. Um, And so that could be everything from the craft center to the radio station, to the center for student involvement, to club sports.
0: Perfect. Okay. So I have the second question. Um, How does involvement and involvement with student organizations in particular contribute to learning in your opinion?
2: I think the importance um, can come from each student and their experience. Um, Some students go there and find community. So they find people that are like them or different than them. Uh, Some people find uh, career paths that are outside of their academic area. So we might have somebody who's a biology major but really enjoys the arts or enjoys chess or tango, dance. Uh, and so I think it's an opportunity to learn outside of the classroom. Uh, and sometimes it's an opportunity to apply classroom experience. Um, so if you're a journalism major, maybe being a DJ in KWVA radio gives you a little bit of on-air experience or practice uh, before you actually go out into the job world. So I think it's all part of an educational process. And it, it happens outside of the classroom, but it's intertwined and interconnected to the entire college experience. All right.
1: So next question for you. In your opinion, why should students join clubs and organizations? Like what might be the benefits or the skills that they might gain from that?
2: Yeah, well, you know, in my opinion, you know, the greatest skill that is learned is working with people, which is kind of, I think, the baseline skill that we're all working on as we're kind of coming into the job place or figuring out how to manage relationships in in our day-to-day lives. So I I think there's something about volunteering your time and energy to coordinate and work with folks towards a common goal, which is just a good life experience. But there's more than that. Of course, there's things like joy and fun. You know, you can actually just do fun things as well as just make like a big difference in the world. So, you know, there's a student group focused on bees, and be health, you know, bee uh, colony health. So uh, there's also like real meaningful work that happens um, that can be done with a group of people more than an individual. So I would say the range goes from, you know, just a real basic life skill all the way to, you know, helping society change problems that I think folks are uh, attached to and engaged
0: with. Yeah, I feel like too with the um like different cultural clubs or culture clubs, like that can really help you find who you are and, you know, learn about yourself and kind of find joy and pride and all those things as well. Like that was definitely like an experience that I had as an undergrad when I joined like our, um, we basically had an organization for like indigenous students on campus. And so I'm from Sweden, but I'm Sami, which is the indigenous people um, who live in over the different Nordic countries. And just being a part of that group, I just got so much out of it on a personal level, um, as well as academically, because then I wanted to take certain new classes I hadn't thought about, you know, so I just feel like there's so much Potential um, in in many different ways that, like you just mentioned. Okay, so this is a very kind of basic question, but it was something that I know that I thought about as an undergrad. So, what do student uh, organizations do when they meet? So, if you've never been in a student org or club before, like what do they do?
2: Yeah. You know, whatever they want within reason, when I say that, because there's obviously things that can't or shouldn't happen, but in general, I think student orgs get together and they plan the purpose and mission of their group, and then they work on how to execute that. Uh, And so that could be putting on events or um, talking about plans or reaching out and connecting with other student groups or the university administration or local community organizations. Um, But really groups when they get together, I think there's a lot of team building that happens normally. And then there's problem solving and problem solving happens through any number of conversations, actions, events, programs, uh, and connections with other organizations. Thank you. So
1: how would a student get involved in an already existing organization?
2: Yeah, this is a particularly interesting question in this moment. Um, So if we were three years ago, I might have a much more simple answer and I will give you the simple answer, but I will acknowledge that it's more complicated in this moment. So, you know, the simple answer is that all student orgs are listed, I would say almost all are listed in Engage, which is an on-campus online platform. And that's a good way to kind of go through and look at all the different opportunities. There also are normally opportunities to see and be seen by student orgs. So you'll see them um, tabling in the amphitheater or you'll see a notice on Twitter or Instagram about an upcoming meeting or an event or a program. There's also larger activities. So we often have events like the block party or other involvement fairs. So club sports will have an involvement fair. Other groups will have fraternity and sorority life will do the same. So there's opportunities to kind of identify that Keystone event and go explore and check it out. Um, but what I would say is all student orgs are open to students to come check it out, right? So they all are open for others to come and see. And I encourage folks to probably find them remotely at the moment and then see what opportunities exist, both from the remote aspect and then also some in-person. And we're still figuring out what that in-person looks like, like everyone else in the world. But I, I do think there's um, there should be plenty of options for online. And the other piece I would add to that is we don't know where some student orgs land right now. We could have student orgs that have been active for 20 years. And right now we don't know who's there. And so I think um, there's going to be a little bit of a restart in this next year. And so I would not be discouraged if you find a group and you don't find the people right away. I think I would be encouraged to kind of lean into that process and start to pull those um, energy and resources together again. So in this moment, I think we have to find what's there and then find what's not. And both of those are the same important process and work for student works.
0: Okay. So the next question, what are examples of leadership positions uh, that students can hold in uh, a club or organization and why should they consider a leadership position?
2: So my philosophy around leadership positions is that there are both formal and informal, of course, And I think it should be expected that um, joining a student organization is a sign of leadership just as a baseline, right? If you are able to manage going to classes and eating breakfast every day and joining a club, I think you are part of a leadership cohort that exists no matter what. Um, within student organizations, there's there's many formal roles. So, of course, there can be a chair and a vice chair or president. Uh, there can be any number of uh, initiative chairs, so people can step into positions around particular ideas or thoughts within the organization. But I would also offer that there are many informal or unlabeled leadership positions um, where people are reaching out to other student organizations or representing themselves in the university as a part of a student organization. There is no way to separate somebody who is a club sports player uh, when they are out in the community representing that organization, uh, then there is the president of the club sports team or the same with a fraternity and sorority life group or a CSI student org or an ASUO student organization. So when you're a member, I think you step into a leadership role and then you can add on, you know, formal titles and roles, uh, but I don't like to limit leadership to just the formal roles because that's not, that's not where it all lives and it isn't where uh, all the learning happens. It's a great answer.
1: <laughs> yeah, I love that too. Just because there's so many transferable skills that come with even something as like you know simple as tabling, right? Like you are engaging with other people and you are trying to present your organization in a way that's gonna make people wanna join and be a part of it and grow. There's a lot of outreach there. And I think that's an amazing answer. Thank you. Um, so if a student wants to start a new organization, what would be the very first step that they would need to take?
2: So I think the first thing is to um, make sure it doesn't exist already. Occasionally we will have groups that are, they, they will come and say we want to start the crochet club and they don't know that there's already a UVO crochet at the U of o club uh, or something along those lines. So I think the first step is always to check and see if there's an existing club that's already very close um, and could be combined because we don't want to have 10 groups of the same uh, and kind of, divide, you know, the energy and um, focus around that. So if it doesn't exist, if they really want to start a new club, there's a number of different organizations that um, recognize groups. So that could be the ASUO, like I mentioned, Center for Student Involvement, club sports, um, fraternity and sorority life. There's also academic student orgs that exist in uh, departments. And really uh, each one of them has its own process. But the main first step is to make sure you know that it doesn't exist already. So kind of do an environmental scan around that, and then to find out what the recognizing body is, and then really make sure you have enough folks to start a club with you, because sometimes that's not obvious. Um, Two people is not usually a club, 60 is, uh, and somewhere in the middle is also, but you really do have to have sustained student interest. And there are different levels of engagement and recognition Across the board. Um, So the Center for Student Involvement, I think the left, I think they need to have five people to start a student organization, uh, to go to fraternity and sorority life. I think that number is higher. And I think the bar is a little higher in order to meet the certain criteria that is set in that organization. So that's where it's important to know the organization that does the recognition and understand what their, their specific set of requirements are, and then understand you know what your relationship is with the university. Some organizations are part of the university and some are um, kind of adjacent or affiliated with the university. And there's different roles and responsibilities associated with those two relationships.
1: And I have a follow-up question to that. So if, let's say like I was a student and I was, had a kind of solid membership for starting a new club, um, how do students know, like, I guess who to go to and like how to know where that club might fall into?
2: Yeah, that's a really excellent question. And I think unless you've been kind of tracing these paths for a long time, it might be hard to know that. But I think there's two central resources. So the Center for Student Involvement and the ASUO are both you know, central in the EMU, and they know all of the other pieces. And so I think as a starting point, CSI, the Center for Student Involvement, knows how to um, kind of send people out into other spaces and also has that kind of first step recognition if it doesn't exist anywhere else. So I would recommend starting with the Center for Student Involvement or the ASUO uh, because they really are your kind of student-centered, student org
0: spots. So that was our last question. Do you have any questions that you felt like we should have asked or something you want to add to the conversation?
2: You know, the one thing we've been finding uh, just with some preliminary research is that the more students are engaged... Uh, in student organizations as well as programs and activities, uh, the more likely they're, they're going to have a sense of belonging, right, of where they're at, but also uh, a sense of retention, so continuing academic pursuits from one year to the next. And I think that's particularly important right now when it's hard to find community, it's hard to find connection, and maybe it's hard to find that sense of purpose outside of a classroom, um, but, that there's real value in trying to find these access points and to find those connections with people who are, you know, similar minded or different minded, uh, but that that energy and connectedness is helpful and good for you. So I I would say, you know, if folks have the capacity, which is also, I think, an interesting question to think about is you you do have to take care of a lot of things. And so once you have that capacity to go give back and connect with others, I really encourage folks to do it and to do it maybe before they're even a little bit ready. Uh, because I think there's so much benefit that comes back that it's worth your time and energy. So, and that can be a little bit or a lot, but I think even a little bit has a great benefit.
0: Great. I actually thought of one last yeah. question. <laughs> were you involved in any clubs uh, when you were in college? And if so what? Clubs? Yeah. So
2: I studied at the university of Wyoming and I have an, a fine arts degree. And so we had uh, an arts club and, it was great. We wrote grants and we opened a downtown art gallery for a year and it was a great learning experience. And, um, I learned more in that experience about, you know, project management, connectedness, um, what does it mean to be in an organization that you have responsibility for than I did in many of my other academic classes. And so I I was probably over-involved as a college student. So it makes sense that I'm, you know, in a job where I work with folks who choose to be involved and involved in many opportunities. Uh, It's a it's, a, it's been a nice career path for me to be kind of connected in the university setting and then to create connections in the university setting. So, so yes and yes, and it's great. It's a really, it's a wonderful place to work and have as, a, as an experience as a student.
0: Perfect. Thank you so much.
2: Yeah.
3: question is if you can state your name and what you do at the U of O. I'm Catelyn Roberts and I am the Director of Fraternity
0: and Sorority Life.
4: I'm Zach Lewis, and I'm the Assistant Director of Fraternity and Sorority Life.
0: Um, so the next question, and this is for Zach, how does involvement and involvement with Greek life in particular contribute to student learning in your opinion?
4: Yeah, I think overall just being involved creates a sense of belonging, creates a connection to the campus. Uh, I've worked at a lot and attended a lot of um, less residential universities. And the thing that we saw there was just having students have a place and feel connected through involvement, whether that be, you know, through a housing association or whether it be fraternity and story life or, you know, a club sport or an anime, you know, club, whatever may be. Having that really contributed to them feeling like that campus was home. Obviously, that's very different with UO because, our freshmen are on campus and they're there and they're, you know, intertwined with every bit of what it is to be on campus here in Eugene. But I think sometimes that can even be overwhelming in its own way. So to detach from just feeling like, hey, this is home and this is where I go to bed, these involvement opportunities present a good hobby. They present an opportunity for them to kind of expand their skills in a way that they may not feel like they get a chance to. And UO's is academically challenging. You know, it's it's a hard school and, and people work really hard. And I think involvement provides them with an outlet um, that they get to choose much like an extracurricular or, you know, a a, uh, a non-standard class that they don't have to take. It gives them some flexibility to say, well, I'm really interested in this. And I think Greek life really leans into that uh, quite well. It gives you an opportunity to grow an incredible amount and do things that You don't really think about until you get involved. There's just so many opportunities for folks to learn what they're doing and how they're doing it and how they're evolving into their own person. It's just really something that, you know, in the field, what we like to say is that when done correctly, fraternity and sorority life is one of the best professional development opportunities. And I've heard that a billion times since I was 18 and I joined a fraternity. But it really is true. When when this is all done correctly, when fraternity and sorority life happens, you can't find a better student learning, you know. Opportunity because you do everything. There really is just everything that you can do. A lot of our students equate it to their running small businesses, and it's really true. So, and then you get all the social benefits. So, it's really, I think, encompasses every bit of everything that you could see, whether it would be club sports. Well, guess what? We're playing in Rails. Or if you're, you know, doing the business club, well, guess what? We're managing a budget, or you know, we're doing this for fun. Well. Guess what? We get socials and different things and community involvement. So it's just really a, a, a really awesome opportunity to get a little bit of everything.
1: So I guess this next one's for Catlin. Um, so in your opinion, why should students join Greek life? Like, what are the skills or benefits that they can gain from it?
3: Well, you know, as Zach mentioned, um, fraternities and sororities are really one of the most outstanding places to develop as a leader on a college campus. But in addition to that, uh, it it will often create a smaller community within the larger university community. Um, So often, When students come uh, to the university, they're coming from far away. Um, They're away from home for the first time. And all of a sudden they have all these brothers or sisters and a much larger 3,400 member community to support them and um, help them with those rough days when they're really missing home. A lot of encouragement for academic excellence as well. Um, We are very lucky at the University of Oregon. Our fraternities and sororities are top notch in academics. They continuously excel and do better even than um, the average undergraduate on campus um, as a whole. So we're really proud of that. And what that means for our students who are involved is there's always someone to give a little encouragement, to go study with, to help you out when you're struggling with a class, or maybe it has a relationship with a faculty member that can help introduce you to, to get a little extra help. Um, long-term, you know, membership is a lifetime experience. And so when our, 18-year-old first-year students join, oftentimes they aren't thinking about that. But really, it is a lifetime experience. And I can't tell you, of course, I work in higher education, but I can't tell you how many students I have worked with who will come back and say, you know, I had this interview and when they looked at my resume and saw that I was president of my sorority chapter, they immediately said, oh, that was such a great experience for you and gives you an introduction. Or then they say, oh, I'm a member of a fraternity or sorority. And there's that connection already um, when they go to start working and they can build relationships with alumni in the um, in the area where they go. Um, I've moved all over the country. Zach has moved all over the country. And what you find is no matter where you are, you can find a group of your sisters or your brothers um, to connect with. And that's pretty
0: incredible. Okay, so um, the next question, how does a student get involved with Greek life? So maybe I'll start with Zach this time.
4: Yeah, I think the first thing is just take an opportunity to look at all the resources we have out there. Uh, One thing that we feel like we're really proud of and we've done a really good job of with the last, you know, 18 months specifically, but really the last two to three years is putting our information in places where it's easy for students to access. COVID necessitated that for everything to be online, but it really was a great opportunity for us to say, how are we putting stuff out there for folks to see it? Uh, So I'll take the opportunity, you know, to plug first and foremost, our blog that we have. And it's we utilize the blog system instead of just our website because it's just easier to update and access. We're able to post things very fast. It's a lot more interactive for us um, and it's a lot easier to work with. So that's actually just blogs.uoregon.edu and that's slash UOFSL. On there, you've got everything. You've got grade reports for folks that are interested. You've got information about every single fraternity and sorority that's on campus. You've got uh, information about how we responded to COVID and how things are continuing to evolve for us and information specific to that for fraternities and sororities. But most importantly, you've got information on how to join. And that's really the interesting part with this is you just start off with a registration form uh, for two of our councils, which are IFC and Panhellenic. They've got a more structured process uh, a little bit more fall heavy, but there's opportunities in the winter and spring for both. And then we have our culturally based fraternal organizations, which are up coming here at UL. We're seeing a lot of growth and development in them in the last almost two years now. They've done a fantastic job in COVID to continue to recruit and continue to grow. And so with that, you know, signing up, shooting us an email. Uh, If you go to our blog, it shows who oversees which council. So you have, if you have specific questions that you don't feel like are answered, you can always shoot myself or Catlin an email to talk through that. And in addition to that, uh, with our IFC and Panhellenic, they maintain their own websites and they have student executive boards that are always there to provide a student perspective. So the biggest thing is just taking a look, you know, deciding, hey, I want to do this experience or that experience and always asking questions. So I think that joining really starts with asking the question of what experience I'm looking for and then going from there and then registering and shooting the emails. And we do everything we can to steward y'all through the process.
0: I have a quick follow-up question. So as an undergrad, I was a transfer student and I, wanted to join a sorority at the time, but I didn't think I could, and I was too shy to like look into it further. So I never did, and I regret it, you know, hearing from, you know, my friends who did and what a great time they had. Um, but, so I'm asking the question for the transfer students out there, can they, uh, can they join? Are there any certain, you know, things they should keep in mind around that?
4: Absolutely, uh, usually in normal times, we'd be there tabling at every single transfer introduction. It's really important for us to make sure that folks know that that opportunity is there. And that's honestly one of the most recurring questions we get is transfer students, not just, you know, freshman or sophomore who may be in between credits. But we have juniors and seniors who transfer to UO and look for that opportunity. Or they may be coming from a university where they didn't have Greek life and they're interested in it. So absolutely, that option is on the table. Um, it's not something that's going to be held against you. In fact, I think with a lot of the transfer students we see that do end up joining fraternities or sororities, they're in and in leadership roles and working and going to do things a lot faster than our freshman students are because they've got a little bit of experience. You know, they they got college handled and kind of understood. And if you're listening to the to this and you're like, well, that guy doesn't know because I'm transferring and I'm feeling way overwhelmed. Even with that, if you don't want to do the leadership, if you don't want to do everything else, you can still come in and make that networking connection with people. And so absolutely transfers. We have people who are last term seniors join our community. And like Catlin said, it's a lifetime opportunity. It's something that you can do forever. So absolutely, please don't feel like there's any restrictions based off of when you're transferring or where you're transferring from. Or if you've gone the recruitment at a previous institution, none of that. We want you to feel like you have that opportunity to come here, get to see what UO is about and join our community if that's what you want to do.
1: All right. So this next one's for Catlin. So what kinds of events and initiatives are sororities and fraternities involved with? And kind of in addition to that, like what would be the time commitment if a student is um, joining in on all of these activities and such?
3: Oh, boy, <laughs> um, that's a big question. Um, we're involved in a lot of everything. Um, I think I'll start with the time commitment uh, question we have this saying that you put into it what you want to get out of it. And so we have members who go to chapter meeting once a week, which is about an hour long, and that's kind of all they do. And that's fine. Um, they they still get out of it what they're looking for. Um, and then we have those who become leaders within chapters or leaders within our community who are diehards, and it's like a full-time job for them. And that's where we, Zach and I come in and say, okay, are you balancing everything that you need to balance in order to really be a good leader? But it really is about putting into it what you want to get out of it. Um, The more time you spend in theory, the greater experience you're going to get out of. So realistically, I would say on average, um, the members would probably spend an an hour a week in chapter meetings and then maybe five or so hours total um, in other events um, or programs that the organization organization is doing those events and initiatives that we work on from our office we we do a number of events um, we host a Greek leadership academy. Um, every winter for all of our chapter presidents and our council officers. Um, We have governing councils that oversee our sororities, fraternities, our culturally-based fraternal organizations, um, and we have leaders who run those organizations. So they all come together and do some networking and planning for the year and really a lot of team building. And um, a big focus for our office is just about community building and getting everybody to know everyone else. We also host an emerging leaders retreat in the spring. um, And that is for our emerging leaders who are up and coming. And oftentimes people will attend that and then they go on to become leaders within their own groups or within our community councils. We host a risk management summit that focuses on health and wellness. Service and philanthropy are a key component of fraternity and sorority life. And so we will see chapters oftentimes hosting different philanthropy events, um, organizing service in the local community, or even um, nationally with their organizations. Um, Zach mentioned intramurals earlier, um, and our fraternities, I know, are very involved in intramurals, but some of our sororities are as well alumni connections. Um, We have an organization called Greeks Go Green that we work with and they're focused on sustainability and they work with the sustainability center in the EMU to really make sure that as a community, fraternity and sorority life is paying attention to the footprint that we're leaving. Um, So they'll they'll work with us on our events to make sure that we have zero waste and things like that. Um, On campus, we have members who are involved in ASUO, We do a lot of work with EMU programming and and, um, the organizations within the EMU and introduction is a huge part too. Um, We also have members who are involved in residence life um, as RAs and we work closely with um, residence life as well. So we're kind of in a little bit of everything on campus um, and we're really proud of that. We work really closely with the Black Cultural Center. We're so excited to have that connection Um, and Zach does a lot of work with them And so that's been exciting to add kind of to our repertoire.
1: And I had a follow up question to that. So you did mention a few times kind of like those culturally based um, sororities and fraternities. I guess, like, is there anything like special about those besides just them being um, kind of more like cultural based? Like, how do you usually kind of bring that up to students so that they feel like they can find a community there?
3: Yeah, I think our culturally-based fraternal organizations are very special, um, and they are a really great part of our community, great members of our community who are growing and developing. Um, I'm going to let Zach take that answer because he actually is their advisor directly and can add to that.
4: Yeah, thanks, Catlin. Uh When you look at the work that our culturally-based fraternities and sororities do, per member, I mean, routinely, we're talking about groups that are less than 15 members, and they're putting up tops in grades. They're putting up tops in community service hours. And we're not talking about per-member community service hours or averages broken across. We're talking about fraternities and sororities that with 15 or less members are sometimes outperforming and outworking, even in philanthropy and in community service, are groups that have 100-plus members. They really, truly are rooted in our community and communities across the country in a way that we don't see with every group. That's not to say those groups aren't working hard but those groups really personify and exemplify what it is to be in a servant of others and a leader of men and just doing all of these great things. You even hear their mottos and it just makes you proud to say like, man, they're a really awesome group and they're working hard. So with culturally based groups, I just think that there's a deeper connection to what it is to serve and a deeper desire to be entwined with a service community and also to support folks that look like you. And, you know, to be in a minoritized student population. Eugene is Eugene. And I think that's, you know, not derogatory, but it's fair to notice that it is a predominantly white institution and it's a predominantly white area here in Eugene and in Oregon overall. Those opportunities that are provided by culturally based groups and the connectivity that I hear our students talk about and the place of feeling of home that they get, even in the midst of all of that, it is just it makes it easy to work for, you know, it makes it easy to show up and support. They really do just put their everything into it. So the opportunities really are since this, uh, January of 2020, when we really started working with them, really is impressive. And that's all a testament to the students.
0: Okay. So the last question is for Katlyn. Uh So what are examples of leadership positions students can hold in sororities and fraternities? And why do you think a student should consider a leadership position?
3: Oh my gosh. Well, you know, we have talked about how leadership is a big focus for fraternities and sororities, and there are a wide variety of leadership positions um, within your chapter, anywhere from being the t-shirt chair and designing and ordering t-shirts for everyone um, to being the chapter president. Um, most Organizations will have, you know, appointed positions or kind of sub positions that fall under their executive council. Really, there's an opportunity for everyone to get involved. Um, The executive council usually takes on the running of the chapter and um, the business side of things. There's a president who oversees everything, there's someone dedicated to recruitment, there's someone dedicated to Educating new members. There will be a secretary. There will be a treasurer. So, typical positions that you find within any organization, but Many of these groups are dealing with a lot of events, um, a lot of alumni who want to know what what's going on, large budgets. Um, so it really is great preparation for having a job and um, seeing yourself in your in the future and what you're going to do. In addition to the chapter positions um, that we have involvement in our community, so we have those governing councils, um, CBFO, which is our culturally based fraternal organizations, IFC. Um, which is the governing body of our fraternities, and Panalinic, which oversees our sororities. And we have executive councils or executive, yeah, executive councils boards for each of those um, councils as well. And um, CBFO is still growing, so they don't have quite as many positions. Um, but IFC and Panhellenic have um, similar positions to the chapters. Um, president or president, recruitment chair, and they oversee things. The recruitment chair oversees recruitment for the entire community and helps coordinate with the chapters. So that is a great experience. In terms of um, really getting to know other people, collaborating with other people, navigating um, a huge campus like ours, and figuring out how you're going to schedule this massive event with 2,000 people, where you're going to put everyone. And it's a lot of really good practical experience to get you ready for the next step after school.
0: Yeah, they, they really sound like great resume builders, you know? Absolutely. Uh, totally. Um, well, that was the last question um, that we had, but is there anything that you want to add, something that we didn't ask that you want to make sure to to mention and share with the, the listeners? I can't think of anything. I think we covered it all, but um, we really appreciate
3: this opportunity, and we're really excited to welcome new members to our community this fall.
0: Those were such good interviews. I feel like I learned a lot. Um, yeah. Okay, so was there something that stood out to you from what Catlin and Zach were talking about?
1: Yeah, definitely. Um, I would probably say the
0: biggest part
1: for me was just hearing about how like students of color were getting involved within kind of that Greek life seen on Mm -hmm. campus. I mean, I knew that they did a lot, but it was nice hearing it from from Zach to see all of the pieces that they're um, bringing in, how they're building up these groups to make sure that their members are supported. Um, and they have a sense of community on campus. Um, And even also me, like as a student of color, um, even though I didn't do like um, any of the Greek life pieces, but I knew and I felt how important it was to have groups on campus that um, not only shared my my cultural background, but then even those that have a very different cultural Mm -hmm. background as well, like I was able to, engage in different ways and have conversations around um, what it meant to be a student of color on yeah. campus and just that general experience. So um, it was nice to, to hear from them that, you know, those those groups are very strong on campus and that they do a lot, of, a lot of work, not only for for themselves, but also for the community as a whole. So it's nice that there's that tie between kind of like the little bubble of U of O and then kind of community-wide mm-hmm. um, as well for, for that,
5: yeah.
0: Yeah, I was thinking too, and I was interested in hearing your thoughts on this, like, you know, having those types of groups on campus for students of color, it's, it must be nice to like be able to go to a space where um, you don't have to like explain everything, people like know your experience, and then you can just like, you know, build from there. And and I don't know, like, that seems like something that would be very beneficial too about those.
1: Yeah, oh, for sure. Because I mean, there's kind of, depending on the spaces that you're in, like, there's a lot that you either have to explain or you don't that's Mm -hmm. like inherently understood so I think to be understood at at that level especially as a student or even like it's also like incoming students who know nothing of campus or haven't had that experience or if they are like first generation students as well like not having to do a lot of those explanation (laughs) pieces is very very helpful and it makes you feel like an instant connection with with people that you know yeah, went to a completely different high school than you, or a different institution than you did. So it definitely makes a huge difference on how you you can connect with people.
0: And then for uh, our conversation with Jesse, something that stood out that we both found very very interesting and just like a, a great answer was when she talked about how that when you think about leadership, it's not just about having a leadership you know a traditional leadership position like being right. a president or you know vice president of a club or organization, but that you're all also embodying leadership when you're, you know, you, you're a member, you join the club, like you're, you're attending meetings, or um, you were mentioning tabling, right? Like, that's, yeah, that shows leadership too.
1: Exactly. Yeah. And I think also just like the skills that you can gain from just being in a community with other people and making things happen. Because mm-hmm. I mean, a lot of the things that we do are a part of the community. So we each have our own role and we push things forward, um, you know, kind of as. As a collective. So I think her framing it in that way was very powerful Um because, it, you know, sometimes like if students are just focused on, oh, I need to get to like that coordinator, like president yeah. position. Um Sometimes I think, you know, you can miss a little bit of those other pieces where, you know, you, you're you having an impact in very different ways, even if it could be like behind the scenes or, you know, in, in other ways. But I don't know if you had any other thoughts about like what, you know, or even for you, like personally, what that has meant as like either a transfer student or, you know, just your involvement with like the philosophy club as well.
0: Yeah, I think like for me, and this is gonna sound so like utilitarian, but like <laughs> joining the the philosophy club, and then at first I was just a member, but then I you know kind of moved my way up to like within right. the little, you know little club. <laughs> yeah. It did help me in terms of building my resume, mm-hmm. um, which so. I went to grad school for philosophy after and right. part of my, you know, graduate school application, you know, you had to include your resume. And as an international student, I'm I was an international student at the time. Like mm-hmm. it was hard for me to gain certain experiences because I couldn't work off campus, for example. Um right. so like having those types of leadership positions or being a member, but having experience of like, you know, putting together anything, like if we had a guest lecture, like I could talk mm-hmm. about those skills that I gained and put them in my resume and have something to share with graduate school. You know, so like from, right. from that perspective, that was very helpful. Um, And I think for other international students out there, like it really could be too, you know?
1: Right, exactly. So we have come to the end of our episode, but before we let you go, we're gonna share a little self-care tip from Mary Marchetti. She's another one of our academic advisors at the College of Education and a graduate teaching fellow. Um, She is also a student in the Counseling Psychology PhD program, So we will kick it to Mary.
5: Hi, everyone, and thanks to my colleagues for that uh, really informative discussion. I'm very excited to join each episode of this podcast with a brief self-care tip. So, these might vary from specific coping techniques to general ideas or suggestions, but will always be intended to encourage our listeners to prioritize their well being and nurture their own resilience. Now, I want to add a quick disclaimer that mental health is as complex as it is important, and the brevity and scope of this segment is not intended to stand in for mental health care or medical advice, or even to suggest that self-care alone is sufficient for promoting mental health. Instead, our hope is to motivate and help prepare you to take steps to manage stress and care for your whole self, not just your academic self, in the ways that you can. And so I'll try to pull in tips that consider the many different factors that impact mental health and always link to resources in the episode notes so that you can take those tips far beyond this space. So with that in mind, and with this being the inaugural episode, today's self-care tip is to ask for help. So this may sound overly simplistic, I wanna recognize that, but oftentimes this is actually the hardest part of addressing a mental health need. So whether you're a returning student or a new student, you might find that you're not sure um, who to turn to for help when you need it, or maybe you feel a sense that you need to solve all of your problems alone in college. You might also feel nervous to open up to someone or worried that your concern isn't clear enough or big enough or even too big to seek help for and those feelings are all incredibly common but thankfully there are a ton of resources and people here on campus uh, to help support you. No concern is the wrong kind to reach out about and being proactive about your mental health is actually um, a really great strength and a great skill to develop um, or enhance while you're in college. Oftentimes talking with a friend, a family member, um, a trusted instructor, mentor, or even an advisor is a good starting place. If you're not sure how to approach that conversation, um, check out the guide by National Alliance on Mental Illness, which is linked in the episode notes, um, which focuses on exactly that question and I think offers some great tips. We also have the university counseling services on campus who offer a huge range of mental health services to students from group and individual therapy to brief consultations and community referrals. And they also have a really great blog Blog and a whole section on their website dedicated to self-care. Um, and they also have information about crisis support and things like that. So I really recommend checking out their website to learn more, which is linked in the episode notes. And finally, I wanted to mention the Duck Nest, which is another place that students can look to for mental health support. So the Duck Nest is a campus center that's focused on helping students achieve balance and wellness in their lives. The Duck Nest is located um, in the EMU, and they're open and free to all students. Um, So they offer a ton of workshops, presentations, and other resources, um, most of which are virtual right now at the time that I'm recording this, but I do recommend checking out their website, which is again linked here, um, to learn what their latest services look like and access their virtual content. So that's it for today's self-care tip. Thank you for listening and take good care.